Chapters seventy six to eighty of Tristram Shandy, Volume three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shalifa Malayam. The Life and Opinions of Tristram Shandy, Gentlemen, Volume three, by Lawrence Stern. Chapter seventy six. I told the Christian reader, I say Christian, hoping he is one, and if he is not, I am sorry for it, and only back he will consider the matter with himself, and not lay the blame entirely upon this book. I told him, sir, for in good truth, when a man is telling a story in the strange way I do mine, he is obliged continually to be going backwards and forwards to keep all tied together in the reader's fancy which, for my own part, if I did not take heed to do more than at first, there is so much unfixed and acrivocal matter starting up, with so many breaks and gaps in it, and so little service do the stars afford, which, nevertheless, I hang up in some of the darkest passages, knowing that the world is apt to lose its way, with all the light the sun itself at noonday can give it, and now, you see, I am lost myself. But tis my father's fault, and whenever my brains come to be dissected, you will perceive, without spectacles, that he has left a large uneven thread, as you sometimes see in an unsaleable piece of cambric, running along the whole length of the web, and so untowardly you cannot so much as cut out a— here I hang up a couple of lights again— or a fillet, or a thumb-stall, but it is seen or felt. Quanto id diligentias in liberis procreandis cavendum, says Cardan. All which being considered, and that you see it is morally impracticable for me to wind this round to where I set out. I begin the chapter over again. Chapter 77 I told the Christian reader in the beginning of the chapter which preceded my uncle Toby's apologetical oration, though in a different trove from what I should make use of now, that the piece of Utrecht was within an ace of creating the same shyness betwixt my uncle Toby and his hobby-horse, as it did betwixt the Queen and the rest of the confederating powers. There is an indignant way in which a man sometimes dismount his horse, which, as good as says to him, I'll go foot, sir, all the days of my life before I would ride a single mile upon your back again. Now my uncle Toby could not be said to dismount his horse in this manner, for in strictness of language he could not be said to dismount his horse at all. His horse rather flung him, and somewhat viciously, which made my uncle Toby take it ten times more unkindly. Let this matter be settled by state jockeys, as they like. It created, I say, a sort of shyness betwixt Michael Toby and his hobby-horse. He had no occasion for him from the month of March to November, which was the summer after the articles were signed, except it was now and then to take a short ride out, just to see that the fortifications and harbour of Dunkirk were demolished according to stipulation. 
The French were so backward all that summer in setting about that affair, and Monsieur Dug, the deputy from the magistrate of Dunkirk, presented so many affecting petitions to the Queen, beseeching Her Majesty to cause only her thunderbolts to fall upon the martial works, which might have incurred her displeasure, but to spare, to spare the mole, for the mole's sake, which, in its naked situation, could be no more than an object of pity. And the Queen, who was but a woman, being of a pitiful disposition, and her ministers also, they not wishing in their hearts to have the town dismantled for these private reasons. Blank, 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 blank. So that whole went heavily on with my Toby, insomuch that it was not within three full months after he and the corporal had constructed the town and put it in a condition to be destroyed, that the several commandants, commissaries, deputies, negotiators, and intendants would permit him to set about it. Fatal interval of inactivity. The corporal was for beginning the demolition by making a breach in the ramparts or main fortifications of the town. No, that will never do, corporal, said my uncle Toby. For in going that way to work with the town, the English garrison will not be safe in it an hour, because if the French are treacherous. They are treacherous as devils, and please, your honour, said the corporal. It gives me concern always when I hear it, Trim, said my uncle Toby, for they don't want personal bravery, and if a breach is made in the ramparts, they may enter it and make themselves masters of the place when they please. Let them enter it, said the corporal, lifting up his piney spade in both his hands, as if he was going to lay about him with it. Let them enter, and please, your honour, if they dare. In cases like this, corporal, said Manga Toby, slipping his right hand down to the middle of his cane, and holding it afterwards, truncheon-wise, with his forefinger extended, it is no part of the consideration of a commandant what the enemy dare, or what they dare not do. He must act with prudence. We will begin the artworks both toward the sea and the land, and particularly with Fort Louis, the most distant of them all, and demolish it first, and the rest one by one both on our right and left, as we retreat towards the town, then we'll demolish the mole next fill up the harbour, then retire into the citadel, and blow it up into the air, and, having done that, corporal, we'll embark for England. We are there, quoth the corporal, recollecting himself. Very true, said my uncle Toby, looking at the church. Chapter 78 a delusive, delicious consultation or two of this kind betwixt Mango Toby and Trim upon the demolition of Dunkirk, for a moment rallied back the ideas of those pleasures which were slipping from under him. Still, still all went on heavily. The magic left the mind the weaker. Stillness, with a silence at her back, entered the solitary parlour and drew their gauzy mantle over Mango Toby's head, and listlessness, with her lax fibre and undirected eye, sat quietly down beside him in his armchair.
No longer Amberg and Renberg and Lamborg and Huy and Bonn in one year, and the prospect of London and Treerberg and Rosen and Dendermont the next, hurried on the blood. No longer did saps and mines and blinds and gabions and palisados keep out this fair enemy of man's repose. No more could Michael Toby, after passing the French lines, as he ate his egg at supper, from thence break into the heart of France, cross over the Oise, and with old Picardy open behind him, march up to the gate of Paris, and fall asleep with nothing but ideas of glory. No more was he to dream. He had fixed the royal standard upon the tower of the Bastille, and awake with it streaming in his head. Softer visions, gentler visions, still sweetly in upon the slumbers. The trumpet of war fell out of his hands. He took up the lute, sweet instrument, of all others the most delicate, the most difficult. How wilt thou touch it, my dear Uncle Toby? Chapter 79 Now, because I have once or twice said, in my inconsiderate way of talking, that I was confident the following memoirs of my Uncle Toby's courtship of a widow Wetman, whenever I got time to write them, would turn out one of the most complete systems, both of the elementary and practical part of love and love-making, that ever was addressed to the world. Are you to imagine from thence that I shall set out with a description of what love is, whether part God or part devil, as Plotinus will have it, or by more critical equation, and supposing the whole of love to be as ten, to determine with Ficinus how many parts of it the one and how many the other, or whether it is all of it one grey devil from head to tail, as Plato has taken upon him to pronounce, concerning which conceit of his I shall not offer my opinion. But my opinion of Plato is this, that he appears from this instance to have been a man of much the same temper and way of reasoning with Dr. Baynard, who, being a great enemy to blisters, as imagining that half a dozen of them at once would draw a man as surely to his grave as a hearse and six, rashly concluded that the devil himself was nothing in the world but one great, bouncing, Cantharides. I have nothing to say to people who allow themselves this monstrous liberty in arguing, but what Nadiensen cried out, that is, polemically, to Philagrius, Xuge, oh rare, tis fine reasoning, sir, indeed. Hoti, philosophes, and patesi, and most nobly do you aim at truth, when you philosophize about it in your moods and passions. Nor is it to be imagined, for the same reason, I should stop to inquire whether love is a disease, or embroil myself with races and Dioscorides, whether the seat of it is in the brain or liver, because this would lead me on to an examination of the two very opposite manners in which patients have been treated. The one of Iasius, who always begun with a cooling glinster of hemp-seed and bruised cucumbers, and followed on with thin potatoes of water-lilies and purslane, to which he added a pinch of snuff, of the herb hernea, and where Iasius durst venture it, his topazering. The other, that of Gordonius, who in his capital fifteenth, 
de amore, directs they should be thrashed, ad putorem usque, till they stink again. These are disquisitions which my father, who had laid in a great stock of knowledge of this kind, will be very busy with in the progress of my Toby's affairs. I must anticipate thus much, that from his theories of love, with which, by the way, he contrived to crucify my Toby's mind almost as much as his amours themselves, he took a single step into practice, and by means of camphorated seercloth, which he found means to impose upon the tailor for buckram, whilst he was making Mango Toby a new pair of breeches, he produced Godonius's effect upon Mango Toby without the disgrace. What changes this produced will be read in its proper place. All that is needful to be added to the anecdote is this, that whatever effect it had upon Mango Toby, it had a vile effect upon the house, and if my Toby had not smoked down, as he did, it might have had a vile effect upon my father too. Chapter 80 will come out of itself by and by. All I contend for is, that I am not obliged to set out with the definition of what love is, and so long as I can go on with my story intelligibly, with the help of the word itself, without any other idea to it than what I have in common with the rest of the world, why should I differ from it a moment before the time? When I can get on no further, and find myself entangled on all sides of this mystic labyrinth, my opinion will then come in in cause, and lead me out. At present I hope I shall be sufficiently understood, in telling the reader, my uncle Toby fell in love. Not that the phrase is at all to my liking, for to say a man is fallen in love, or that he is deeply in love, or up to the ears in love, and sometimes even over head and ears in it, carries an idiomatical kind of implication that love is a thing below a man, this is recurring again to Plato's opinion, which, with all his divinityship, I hold to be damnable and heretical, and so much for that. Let love, therefore, be what it will, my Uncle Toby fell into it. And possibly, gentle reader, with such a temptation, so wouldst thou. For never did thy eyes behold, or thy concupiscence covet anything in this world more concupiscible than a widow wetman. End of chapters seventy six to eighty.